My name is Lyle, one of the pastors here, and just want to say welcome uh, to this uh, great day. Uh, welcome to a day where we celebrate uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, the first time, I really want to encourage you to fill out a connect card. It should be in the seat back in front of you. Uh, yeah, we promise we won't come and pound on your door. We might send you an email uh, just to see if you have any questions or if there's a way we can grab coffee or get lunch. We'd love to get to know you better, uh, get a face with the name. So if you want to fill that out, you can do it here in just a minute. Our giving basket's going to come uh, and collect up our giving. And so uh, as they are getting ready to do that, or as they do it, I guess is a better way to say it, uh, just a reminder, man, if you're first time, man, don't feel any pressure to give. We pray that this service and, uh, yeah, your time with us is a real gift. Uh, but if you're... Uh, a regular attender and a member, may you give and give generously. And so as we're doing that, uh, we have another thing to celebrate real quickly here. And so uh, some of you may not know this, but we are one of five congregations. We have a, what we call, uh, we're, we're a family of churches. We call ourselves a Sojourn Collective. So we have this one here. You're at Sojourn J-Town. Uh, in case you didn't know that, <laughs> so hopefully nobody's, oh, I'm not supposed to be here, I'm out here, no, uh, Sojourn J-Town, we got a, another one at, uh, off Rudy Lane called Sojourn East, uh, we got one in New Albany, because uh, Sojourn New Albany, we got our downtown location uh, called Sojourn Midtown, and we've just today are launching our fifth congregation uh, in the south end of Louisville, and it's called Sojourn Carlisle, and so uh, let's celebrate that. So we've, we've added to our family today, and what a better day to kind of launch. Uh, I think there's another slide here. This shows you the team that's kind of beginning this new work. And so this used to be Carlisle Baptist Church. They got down to about 20 or so people. Uh, very similar to the situation here that uh, God graced us with uh, Lakeside Baptist giving us this building, kind of similar to Carlisle Baptist is giving us uh, their facilities. And so they are starting today officially. Uh, and the guy that's on, you can't see him really well probably, but he's down the front row far left. That is James Fields and his family and wife. Uh, he is the lead pastor there at Sojourn Carlisle. Um, so he's been kind of coming in on the weekends and, and, and uh, doing uh, teaching on Sunday. Their family is moving at the end of June, wanting to get their kids through school. Uh, and so just be praying for them in this transition that God will provide a home for them. Uh, man, a great guy, uh, really excited about the work that he's going to do uh, in that midst. So, so yeah, just, just beautiful stuff, really excited about what God continues to do in our midst. All righty, so if you've got a Bible, we're in Luke chapter 24. Don't have a Bible, that's fine. There's a black one probably in a seat rack in front of you, like on below that seat. Uh, the passage of Scripture is also in your, in your bulletin. And so today... I just want to spend a few minutes of talking about one of my favorite kind of what we call post-resurrection stories. And so the Bible tells us that, um, that Jesus appeared to over 500 people in the 40-day span that he had after his resurrection before he was ascended to the right hand of the Father. And we have a few of those stories uh, where we, we get to kind of see firsthand how that, that played out. And one of my favorites is here in Luke 24. Uh, a lot of fun. Uh, we looked at this a few years ago, and I want to come back to it and, and bring out some, uh, some different angles to it. All right? And so if you're able, I would encourage you to stand with me in honor of reading God's Word. So Luke 24, we'll, we'll read the first three verses to kind of give us a little bit of the context here. Uh, we just read these a few minutes ago uh, at the beginning of our service, but we'll just kind of read them again. And so on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came, these, some ladies that were with Jesus at the crucifixion, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices that they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, and they went in but did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. 
And then if you skip down to verse 13, here's kind of where we're camping out in this narrative. Now that same day, what happened in verses 1 through 3, that same day, two of them, referring to his disciples, two of them, were on their way to a village called Emmaus, which is about seven miles from Jerusalem. So together they were discussing everything that had taken place. And while they were discussing and arguing, I love that. That's probably what maybe your Easter dinner is looking forward to, arguing. Um, Jesus himself came near and began to walk along with them. But they were prevented from recognizing him. And then he asked them, what is this dispute that you're having with each other as you're walking? And they stopped walking and looked discouraged. The one named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that happened there in these days? So hopefully you feel the irony. Are right, you saying that to Jesus? Amen? So that's kind of funny. Uh, and then look how Jesus responds. What things? He asked them. And so they said to Jesus, I want to kind of emphasize that, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which is, oh, I love it, who was a prophet powerful in action and speech before God and all the people and, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we were hoping, just kind of sit with that for a second, try to feel what these, these two individuals were feeling, but we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. Besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. And skip down to verse 25. And then Jesus said to them, How foolish and slow you are to believe all the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. They came near the village where they were going, and he gave the impression that he was going farther. But they urged him, Stay with us. Because it's almost evening, and now the day is almost over. So Jesus went to stay with them. And it was as he reclined at the table with them that he took the bread, blessed and broke it, and he gave it to them. And then their eyes were open, and they recognized him. But he disappeared from their sight. Pop! He's gone. <laughs> like, wouldn't that be kind of amazing to see that? And then they're verse 32. And they said to each other, weren't our hearts burning within us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining scriptures to us? This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. God, may you do this in us. May your, your words burn within our hearts this morning. May we remember, God, these are just not letters on a page, but these are your words being spoken to us this morning. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. They may have kind of changed the name of this, but have any of you gone to kind of like a, a preschool graduation or a preschool promotion? Anybody attended one of those of your niece or nephew, son? You can be a little more proud and raise that up. I got to, okay, yeah, good deal. All right, first service, there were like two people. It's like, I know you've been to a preschool graduation. I'm not the only one. So I've gone to four. Obviously, I got, got four boys. And in our preschool graduation, 
uh, they would also always ask, um, what do you want to be or do when you grow up? That was the question they would ask 20 to 25, four and five-year-olds, which you can just imagine how hilarious that is, right? It's just pretty funny. And so uh, I wish I could say that I'm a great dad and I remember all four. I'm batting 500. I remember two, right? So that's pretty good in baseball. Amen? That's what I'm, that's what I'm camping on today. Uh, maybe not good in the dad category. But here's the two that I remember from my boys and what they said when I asked that question. One of them said they wanted to be a race car driver, which this is kind of funny for me because we hardly ever watched NASCAR. I'm not even sure where this is from. Not that I'm against NASCAR. I like it, but we just didn't watch it that much. But one of them wanted to be a race car driver. Another one said, and I still feel like one of our four still kind of has these aspirations, uh, wants to be a comedian. <laughs> and uh, I think he's really trying hard to keep that up, being a comedian. So, uh, but I say that to just ask you the same question. What about you? What were your dreams? What were your desires? What did you hope to become when you were a kid? We grow up with aspirations and desires and wants. We want to be an astronaut. We want to be professional athletes, doctors, rock stars, actresses, models, comedians, right? I wanted to be a police officer. That was my desire uh, growing up. But if we're honest, very few of us ever live up to what we hoped for when we were kids. Most of us became bankers, welders, accountants, mechanics, engineers, salesmen, waitresses, baristas, teachers, pastors. <laughs> it was not on my radar. Not what I dreamed of and what I hoped for. And I'm not trying to say that these are not honorable and admirable professions here. I'm just trying to make a point. It was probably not what you were dreaming of being. Life just never seems to go how we want it. We're perpetually let down day after day and year after year. Instead of a promotion, you get laid off. Instead of getting in that school that you wanted to get into, you got a denial letter. Instead of going on vacation, you got to work overtime. The car needs new tires. The house needs a new roof. Marriage turned out to be way more difficult than you ever imagined. Can I get one? Amen, maybe, right? Maybe you're here and you thought you would be married by now. You weren't able to have the kids that you hoped for, and the kids that you did have didn't turn out the way that you may have hoped they would. But maybe you're here, right, and you're um, kind of the, the anomaly maybe, that maybe you're here and everything's working for you, right? What you dreamed of being, you became, you know, all your desires are like it's just clicking you're like running all cylinders right there there may be some of you here and I'm glad you're here but boy you are an anomaly maybe I don't know maybe not but I kind of feel like maybe you are 
But here's what I would say to that. Even if life is clicking on all four cylinders or six cylinders or whatever kind of engine you love in a car, I would say there's still a disconnect. If we would just stop and reflect, I think we would still feel a real disconnect, a restlessness within our own souls. I think our lives are caught in this... um, this constant tension of deep longings. Like we, like there's something in us that wants more than what this life offers. And so we, we go after something. We think this is it. This will fulfill my deep longings. And we may arrive there and usually what happens is followed by deep disappointment. And we're kind of always in this tension in life. These deep longings, I think this is it. We may get it, and then it never fulfills what we think it's going to be. These deep longings and deep disappointments. And what happens because of this is that I would say is that we're afraid to hope. We no longer dream. Because we, we placed our hope in something, or we, every time we do place our hope in something, it doesn't turn out exactly like we thought it would and it lets us down so the better thing to do is not to hope and we become cynical and jaded i mean think about this and i've probably shared this before and i'm just trusting you're forgetting things that i say just like i forget what i say amen right so i can't even remember what i talked about last week i mean i just talked friday and i think i could piece that together i don't know so the reality is i know you forget a lot i say but that's great it helps me repeat stuff but here's 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 where i'm going let's say you would go home today and maybe you're driving down blank baker somewhere in louisville and you run by you know a, a drive by a car lot and there's this there's a guy out there flipping the sign not the sign not anything else but the sign right and he and on the sign it says free car inside free car inside now if you have kids in your car what are they telling you to do dad mom pull over, right? There's a free car right there. Now, why do kids do that? Almost every one of them will. Why? Because they're still filled with wonder. They still believe that the impossible can happen. They still believe and hope. But what do we do? We drive on past. Why? Because life has taught us If it's too good to be true, fill in the blank. Say it out loud. And it probably isn't. We become jaded. And jadedness leads to despair. And that's exactly how these two characters feel in chapter 24. I mean, it's exactly how they feel. I mean... Guys, they gave up um, probably half of their money that they currently had in order to spend three years with this man named Jesus. You get that? They gave up half of their money in order to spend three years with Jesus. Why? Because they thought he was the one. They thought he was the hope for the nation of Israel. That he was going to set things right. 
get rid of Rome like he's the guy. And so they sold half of their belongings so they can live for three years with this man. And now, on that Friday, he's gone. He's dead. Guys, it was not on their radar that this would happen. And I don't know about you, but whenever I um, experience deep disappointment or whenever there's great discouragement in my life, like I want to go and escape. I want to go somewhere and sort of get some kind of relief from the, the restlessness, the, the jaded, the cynicalness that I continually feel in this life. And that's exactly what these guys are doing. I mean, where are they going? What did it say? They're headed to where? Say it out loud. And if you forgot, which is okay, amen, right there it is. They're headed to a village called Emmaus, which is about seven miles from Jerusalem. Now, some say uh, that this may have been where they're from, could have been. Others say this, that they were headed to Emmaus because Emmaus means warm springs. And so they're headed to Emmaus because they're trying to escape. They're trying to get some relief. They are downcast. They are hopeless. They're trying to go somewhere and escape. Warm Springs translation for me means the beach. <laughs> Amen? Right? When life is not working out like I thought it would, Florida sounds really awesome. Look, every single one of us in this room have Emmaus in our lives. We have places we go to to slip away from the disappointments of life. Frederick Buchner says this in talking about this little figure of speech of Emmaus. He says this, Emmaus is the place that we go in order to escape a bar, a movie, wherever it is that we throw up our hands and say, let the whole thing go hang. It makes no difference anyway. Emmaus may be buying a new suit or a new car. I like socks, so I buy a new pair of socks. I got some pineapple socks on today in memory of Psych, the show that's gone forever. That's just my added notes in there. I'm just trying to... Rel resonate with this text he says a new suit a new car or what smoking more cigarettes than you really want or reading a second-rate novel or even writing one Emmaus may be going to church on Sunday Emmaus is whatever we do and wherever we go to make ourselves forget that this world holds nothing sacred that even the wisest and bravest and loveliest decay and die, that even the noblest ideas that men have had, ideas about love and freedom and justice, have always in time been twisted out of shape by selfish men for selfish ends. What is the Emmaus in your life? Where do you go? Social media? Netflix, pornography, alcohol, drugs, your lawn, your favorite football, basketball team, you watch SportsCenter over and over again, the mall, but maybe the mall is outdated, Amazon. We all walk this Emmaus Road. We all seek escape from the disappointments that let us down in life. Where 
do you go? Well, here's the good news of Easter, because that sounds like a lot of bad news, right? But here's the good news of Easter, is that Jesus always, and I'm not speaking in hyperbole here, Jesus always meets us on this road. Always. And I'm not speaking as one who's not experienced hopelessness and in seasons have been really dark. I'm speaking as one who says, yes, Jesus always meets you on this road. I mean, look what happens here in verse 15. And while they were discussing and arguing, Jesus himself came near and began to walk with them. But they were prevented from recognizing him. And then he asked them, what is this dispute that you're having with each other as you're walking? And they stopped walking and looked discouraged. Some translation says their faces were downcast. That's, that's how hopeless they felt. Then verse 18, then the one named Cleopas, love that he got his name in there so that we can find him in the new heavens and the new earth. Tell me how this really went down. Like, how foolish did you feel when you kind of like figured out who he was, right? Then Cleopas answered him and said this, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that happened there in these days? The irony is absolutely thick and rich. And then I love what Jesus says in verse 19, what things? What things? Guys, please hear me. First of all, Jesus always meets us where we are, and he continually does so. And I would even say that he most meets us in those moments of frustration, broken dreams, disappointments, hopelessness, and even in seasons when you're shaking your fist at God. Jesus always meet you there our God is not a God that passively sits back and just waits on you to make the first move no that's not the God that's being revealed to us through the scriptures here when you read the book of any of the gospels and you see who Jesus is who's God in the flesh he's not one just sitting back wringing his hands and waiting for you to make your first move he is always seeking you out he is always making the first move he is always coming to you listen to me always shows up when you are in a season of disappointment, discouragement, and he continues to do so. And I love this. His presence is not a condemning presence. It's not. Some of us in this room have this mindset that God is perpetually disappointed in you. That if there is a, a facial expression of God, it's always kind of angry. That you never can live up, you never, oh, here you come, same thing, talking to me, oh my gosh, get your act together, oh, you can't show up to church, he's just, you have this mindset, he's always frustrated with you. That is not the God of the Bible, he doesn't come to you with the presence of condemnation, he comes to you with the presence of curiosity. That's what he does for these guys. I mean, can we not say, if there's any person in the world that should be frustrated right now, it's Jesus, right? I mean, he spent three years with these guys. Three years. And over and over and over, he said this. In plain language, this wasn't in a riddle. It wasn't in a parable. He sat them and down and said, look, I'm going to die. Do you understand what that means? I'm going to die. They're going to betray me. They're going to beat me. They're going to hang me on a cross. I'm going to die. And in three days, I'm going to rise again. 
And every time, what is he talking about? I have no idea. What's, what, that, that just can't be. I have no idea what you're talking about. He's speaking in some kind of tongue, right? It has to be what's going on here, right? No. If there's any person that should be frustrated here is Jesus, but that's not his presence. He comes to them with curiosity. What things? And that's how he comes to you this morning. No matter where you are in life. You may be in a season where you're deeply disappointed with God because God didn't show up the way you think God should have showed up. Guess what? God's not back there looking like this. He's not back there going like that. He's coming to you. He's curious. Talk to me. What's going on? What things? Jesus always meets you where you are, and he continues to do so. So, you see what the rest of the narrative here is. So they go on in verses 19 through 24 and tell Jesus what happened to Jesus, which that's just so funny, even just saying that. So they go on and share what happened that weekend, and then Jesus says this in verse 25. He said to them, how foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then look what he did. Then beginning with Moses, which is the, the, the first five books of the Old Testament, and all of the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself and all of the Scripture. So not only does Jesus meet us where we are, Jesus always meets us in his word. I mean, I, can you imagine this? Can you imagine having a Bible study with the guy who wrote the Bible? <laughs> Isn't that great? I mean, it'd be like you'd be in a part of a book club where you're reading the Harry Potter series and J.K. Rowling's there. It's like, oh, this is great, right? It's like, you're right here and you wrote this. Hey, you know what I'm saying? Wouldn't that be, well, maybe I'm the only one that thinks that would be awesome. Can I have some like, yeah, it'd be great. Or if you're a golfer or not a golfer, it doesn't really matter. Wouldn't it be amazing to play 18 holes with Jack Nicklaus who designed the course that you're playing? Like, that would be awesome. Like, he would tell you every reason why he put a tree, a bunker, the flag, whatever. You know, say, so that would just be so, that's exactly what's happening here. Jesus is taking the Old Testament and showing these men how everything in the Old Testament was always leaning forward to point to Jesus Christ. How all the prophets speak of him. How all of the sacrifices point to him. How the, all the longings of humanity are focused on the one who will one day arrive and solve the great crisis of history. Everything in the Old Testament is pointing forward to Jesus. And he was just kind of like, hey, right here's me. Right here's Jesus. Right here's, oh, you thought this? No, this is what it means. That's what's going on here. And I'm so thankful that Jesus did this. I mean, what did Jesus use to bring hope to their hopeless situation? What did Jesus use to lift their heads up that were downcast? What did Jesus use to shine a light in their darkness? He did not perform a miracle. I mean, sit with that for a second. I mean, could have. I mean, he could have, like, watch me levitate, right? I mean, he just disappeared in the passage, right? Like, he could have done that then. Say, hey, watch this. This is going to be amazing. I'm going to prove you who I am. Boop. I came back, right? I mean, 
No, he doesn't perform a miracle. He goes to the Bible. Which means this, that in the midst of some of my darkest days, I can go to this book and find hope. That Jesus took them to the Bible in order to give them a glimmer of hope in a very hopeless situation. Because look, I've said this all morning. If you fall asleep for the rest of the sermon, which is fine if you do. All right, I won't be too long, so you must be really tired if you fall asleep that quickly. All right? Um, and the reality is, is people fall asleep all the time. I promise I won't come down there and smack you in the face. Um, if I would listen to myself, I'd probably fall asleep too. But here's one thing I just want you to hear. If you've never read the Bible, then I want to encourage you to start reading the Bible. No matter if you've been a Christian for 50 years, if you're a brand new Christian, or someone who's exploring Christianity, or you fall in between some of that gamut, wherever you are, my encouragement for you is that you would read the Bible. Just take one of the Gospels like Luke and spend maybe over the next couple months just reading it and just asking, God, show me you. That's it. That's a simple request. And some of you might be saying like, well, oh, man, I can't read the Bible. I don't believe the Bible. Well, there's no rules, right? It's not like God's going to strike you dead. That you have to have some kind of posture about reading the Bible before you can read the Bible, right? You read all kinds of things you don't believe, amen? Okay, you should not believe everything you read, all right? Like, you read things on social media, you read things on the internet, you read things on whatever. If you do a hard paper like I do, I actually read the paper. So I know that's really outdated and showing my age, but look. You don't believe everything you read, but that doesn't keep you from reading it the same way here. Just start reading the Bible and asking God to show up. I mean, this is, in some ways, how it started for me. I mean, God saved me when I was young. I was seven years old. Gave me an understanding of what sin was, even as a seven-year-old, and put my faith and trust in Christ at that time. But from seven to, like, mid-20s, you know, my, my relationship with God was more like transactional. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. It's more like, um, hey, God, help me out of this situation, right? Thank you for helping me out of this situation. Hey, rescue me from these bad decisions I made here. Oh, thanks for, like, you know, doing away with the consequences or whatever. But beyond that, it was nothing more. It was just, I was just living life. I kind of had my fire insurance, so to speak, so that when I die, I knew where I was going. But there was no real relationship at all. And then God providentially had me move to a little bitty town after I graduated college called Vincent, Ohio. And I became a part-time youth minister, which is crazy. When I think about that, I can't believe this church hired me because I didn't know beans, man. But I was a part-time youth guy at this small old church, Lighthouse Baptist Church. And so I moved up there. I mean, you've heard the story. You know, I moved up there to get Kathy. God had a whole different story of what he was going to do. And so my dream, part of my dream when I was back in this day, I wanted to coach basketball. It's what I wanted to do. I wanted to coach high school basketball. And so I sought after a guy that was a, I heard he was a Christian. He was a head coach from Marietta College there, a little town just up the road from where I lived. And I came to him and said, hey, I want to learn how to coach basketball. Can I be a volunteer assistant? And so sure enough, I was a volunteer assistant at Marietta College trying to learn how to coach basketball. And in that year, 
because he got fired at the end of the season. <laughs> I feel so mad for him. Like he had one, he had a couple years, but that year he got fired. It wasn't because of me, but moving on here. I had a plan of learning how to coach basketball. God had a plan to use George Freebesizer in my life to teach me how to read the Bible. And it was in that relationship that I began to see what a relationship with God looks like and how this book can be the pathway to that relationship. I'm forever indebted to the investment, even if a year that George Freebesizer had in my life. Look, God meets us in his word. So sit down, read it, and ask God to show up. If I'm wrong and God doesn't show up, then you spend a few hours reading the best-selling book of all time. But if I'm right, you will meet the God who made you, who sustains you right now, who loves you deeply, and you will find life. So not only does Jesus meet you where you are, no matter where you are on that road, and he continually does so, he also meets us in his word, and then lastly, and I'm done after this, Jesus often meets us in ordinary ways. I mean, look at this, look, I, I find this amazing. Verse 28, look what he says. So they came near the village where they were going, and he gave the impression that he was going farther. I love how the Bible brings humor. I mean, I just do. I don't even know what this looks like. Did he just speed up? You know, say like, I'm out of here, right? You know, I love that little part where, thanks for like two people laughing. But I know that little part where uh, he comes to Mary post-resurrection um, Another scene where Mary thinks he's a gardener, right? I don't know what Jesus is doing, if he's playing in the weeds or whatever, but something he was doing to make him feel like he's a gardener. So he gave the impression, I don't know if he sped up or, see you later. I don't know what he did, but he thought they was going further. But verse 29, look what he says here. But they urged him, stay with us, because it's almost evening, and now the day is almost over. So Jesus went in to stay with them, and look what happens here in verse 30. It was it was as he reclined at the table when, with them that he took the bread, he blessed and broke it, and he gave it to them. And verse 31, then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, but he disappeared from their sight. One of the striking things of this passage that I see is not the extraordinariness of it. Yes, the resurrection of Jesus is enormously extraordinary. But what is striking about this chapter is, is that extraordinary miracle of Jesus being raised from the dead, alive, living, breathing, walking with them, talking to them. This extraordinary miracle is revealed through the ordinariness of life. At what point did these two guys see who Jesus was? When he broke the bread. Yes, there, there are multiple layers of meaning of what's going on here, but I'm just wanting to state the most obvious. The time when they recognized who Jesus was was when they sat down and had a meal. Something they do every single day, an ordinary meal. 
This wasn't like an amazing meal. This wasn't like, oh my gosh, you brought in the big lamb. No, this is just a normal meal, like spaghetti for us. Amen, right? That's just pretty normal, unless you go somewhere upscale, but it's pretty normal in my home. But look, this is when Jesus shows himself while they're eating dinner, an ordinary meal, and they recognize him. I love how Daryl Bach talks about this in his commentary on Luke. Listen to what he says here. The table was a place where Jesus was heard and where his presence came across most intimately. This fact suggests that Jesus, look, look what he says here, reveals himself in the midst of the basic moments of life. In the midst of the basic moments of life. He is at home in the midst of everyday activity. I don't know. If you're anything like me, there have been times in my life where I, where I kind of do this bartering with God. You know what I'm talking about? Where, God, if you show up like this, if you change this, if you do this miracle, then I'm in. I'll trust you. I'm all the way in. If you show me something extraordinary, God, I'm in. If you do this miracle, whatever it is, heal, sustain, keep, do away with, whatever it is, I'm in. And I'm not saying that God doesn't do that, nor am I saying that God can't do that. I'm just saying that usually that's not how God works. God works primarily through the ordinary means of life. Everyday kind of life, God is showing up in powerful ways. A conversation with a friend. And God uses that conversation to change the trajectory of your life. An ordinary conversation with a friend. A church service. I guess the men and women that are on this stage, we're ordinary people. <laughs> we are nothing extraordinary. I'm just a normal guy who puts my pants on just like you put your pants on. Amen? But somehow, by the grace of God, these ordinary men and women in the midst of a church service, God uses it in extraordinary ways. Someone shares their story with you. Someone's present with you through a difficulty. Someone shares spaghetti, an ordinary meal, and God shows up in extraordinary ways. My concern is this, is that you may be waiting for something amazing to happen and all the while you're missing him. Because Jesus often meets us through everyday life in ordinary ways. So I just want to close with one question. That's all I got, all right? And I feel like this one question... I. I think it sums up what I'm trying to say here. And that question is this, do you want life? Do you want life? And, and I would say all of us do. That's why we have this tension of deep longings and disappointments, because we want life. Do you want a life that can carry you through suffering 
and loss and pain and shattered dreams? Do you want a life that will not leave you dissatisfied, disappointed, or in a sea of regrets? The source of that life is not in any possessions. I mean, you can continue to try to accumulate them. You can. That kind of life is not found in any kind of position that you can have in your company, in your work, wherever it is. That kind of life is only found in a person, and that person's name is Jesus. He created you. He is sustaining you right now. He greatly loves you. He lived a perfect life for you. He died horribly for you. He was raised from the dead so that you can know him. And right now, in this midst, he is seeking after you. Even if you're doing this toward God, he is seeking after you. Why? Because he loves you and he wants you to know him. Let's pray. God, we're so thankful that you are not a God who is passive. The plan to send your son Jesus was not our plan. It was not our making. It was yours. And we give thanks that you chose to go and seek and save a lost humanity. Thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.